Amen. If, you'll, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Judges. We're in Judges 10. I'm going to begin in verse 6 and read down to verse 16. So Judges 10, verses 6 to 16. Then the, then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites and Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines, also the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress." And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Well, this is the word of the living God, and we say, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray together, ask the Lord's blessing. Our Father, we're grateful for the way that you have been consistent in your provision towards each one of us. You have been without shadow or change, and we're grateful because there is no one like you. The other gods, they... They change, they are finicky and difficult. We are grateful for you in this passage we have just read, and I pray that we'll understand more about your character this evening. For there is not a God like you, and I pray that we'll, we'll see that more clearly this evening. I pray that you open our eyes. And I pray that you even grant salvation to any who may hear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a possibility when reading through Judges to think that every story is the same. Uh, and therefore, you may think that every application of this book would then be the same. And, and hopefully, so far, that hasn't completely been that way for you in this sermon series uh, it is true, in one sense, that the message of every chapter, every judge and story in this book is the same. Um, the book takes place 
over a span of 400 years, but despite that, there is this common theme that God's people are totally depraved, that all people are totally depraved, and that God yet delivers them. So that is the same each, each week. But there is a progression in this book, and we've begun to see this about halfway through the book, and tonight we'll see it again. We see that walking through, that there is a wrinkle added. Something new is brought to bear on the common themes. And in this chapter, we see these same themes that I just mentioned, but we see them with with a sort of extra emphasis. We really see Israel's depravity. We really see God's mercy, more so, perhaps, than what we've yet seen. So, in a way, this is the same story, different chapter. In another way, we're going to see a few new things, so I hope you can, can spot them along with me. There are four headings tonight. The first one is this, sinful men forsake a good God. Well, this, this is the same story, isn't it? Sinful men forsake a good God. Verse 6 says it plainly, as the other chapters do, the children of Israel again, it just tells us they did it again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this common refrain we have seen several times. And what is it this time that they do? What evil is it that they do? It's not just that they do a few bad things. Take notice, too, you'll see this in verse 7. They forsake God. They worship and serve other gods. So this did not happen overnight. Israel has committed a number of lesser sins along the way, and over time, their sins have become worse and worse. One scholar, Daniel Block, has said about this passage that the canonization of Israel has reached a climax in this passage. So Canaan is the land, if you will, the region in which Israel exists. And there are all these various people groups around the land and in the land. And Israel has a propensity to become like these other nations. That's the opposite of their calling. We are, it's the same for us, we are not to become like the world We are to preach to the world and aim to disciple the nations. And Israel, at this time, the canonization of Israel has reached a climax. They've become worldly. They have looked to their neighbors and seen how they worshipped, and they have decided that their ways, the nation's ways, are better than Yahweh's ways. They abandon their former ways, and they give themselves over to the false gods of the land of Canaan. Also, what is unusual here is the number of false deities listed. It's not one false god listed. Count them with me. The Baals and the Ashtoreths, it's one or two. The gods of Syria, three. Gods of Sidon, four. Moab, five. The people of Ammon, six. And the gods of the Philistines, seven false deities. And seven in Scripture is often used as a number of completion. The idea here is that Israel has sinned thoroughly. They have whored after every false god there is in the ancient Near East. That's the picture the writer is trying to give us. There is something unconditional about their sinning. It does not matter who the false god is. Israel has sinned without regard, without condition for who the god is. They just leave their former ways and they'll seek after, whore after, Whatever God it is. 
They forsake God. Notice this word there. It's actually at the end of verse 6. That's where we see that word forsook. They have left him. There is no more part-time Yahweh worship. They're working full-time for the other gods. That's what's meant by forsook. Matthew Poole on this verse says, Before the people of Israel worshipped God and idols together, now they utterly forsake God and wholly cleave to idols. So no longer are they part-time. They're full-time. They are totally depraved. You and I are like this. We sin unconditionally against God. It does not matter if you are single. It does not matter if you are married, rich, or poor, black, or white. We all sin, and this is what Israel has done. They do not need a special occasion to sin. If they are blessed, they sin. If there are other peoples oppressing them, they sin. They sin if they are in the wilderness. They sin if they are in the homeland. And remember Adam and Eve, where they were when they sinned. They were in paradise, literally in paradise. And yet, they rebelled against God. Sometimes, you may think that you would be less likely to sin, or you might tell yourself, or you might tell a friend, well, I'd be less likely to sin if my conditions were different. If only life were just a little bit easier, if this one thing changed, I wouldn't sin. But that is not the way the Bible describes the human heart. Sinners sin without regard for the condition that they find themselves in. Without God's grace, they fall further and further into sin. Pastor Ryan has spoken to us about this from 2 Peter in the morning sermon series lately. In 2 Peter 2, false teachers They are shown to be the sort of people who grow so accustomed to sinning that they do so without shame. It says they carouse in the daytime. They parade, if you will. Sometimes, quite literally, we see it in our day and age, they parade right down the middle of the street. They parade their foolishness, their nakedness, right down the middle of the road. And such sinners are not hiding their sins. They are flaunting them. Look at me. Look at how much regard I have for God. It's nothing. I have no regard. Don't you see? And they celebrate their sinfulness. And such people did not become that way overnight. Like Israel, they have hardened their consciences. They have disregarded God's law. So our aim now is to be on guard, as we've heard from Second Peter. For within just a generation or two, we can see our nation, our people, our church turn sour. That's what's happened to Israel. They've completely forsaken God. So our second heading tonight is this. God's anger is hot. God's anger is hot. We see this, verse 7. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. You'll see where I get my point. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. And from that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel. And you'll notice that Israel repents in verse 10. And notice also 
that God has sent not one but two oppressors. This is double what Israel normally experiences, isn't it? He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the gods of the people of Ammon. And Israel cries out. This is typical, right? But God does not send relief, and this fact should catch our attention. Throughout this book, a pattern has been established. We've been over this pattern. God God sends oppressors to Israel, and once Israel cries out, God sends relief. But this time, God does not send relief. Your ears should be perked up at this moment. And then notice verses 11 and 12. God reminds them of what he has done in the past. The Lord said to the people of Israel, did I not deliver you? And then he lists a bunch of nations. Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, from the Amorites? And he lists the rest. What's interesting is that like the list that came before, there are also seven listed here. And here again, Daniel Block says this, like the list of pagan deities in verse six, this list consists of seven names. Presumably to highlight the fact that God has always saved his people from their enemies. So again, that number of completion comes to bear. Israel has sinned thoroughly with seven nations they have whored. And now God has delivered them thoroughly from seven nations. It's really more, but the idea for you and I is that God continues to do it. He always does it. He thoroughly does it. And if you have been reading, we should notice also what's new here in this chapter. Some wrinkle added to the cycle, verse 13. This is the sort of verse that causes me, at least, great pause. You have forsaken me and served other gods. And hear what God says next. Therefore, I will not deliver you. You've forsaken me. You've served other gods. I will not deliver you again. And then he adds to it. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And so what now are the people of Israel thinking? God has said, we've we've cried out just as our fathers cried out. Why isn't he listening to us? He listened to them. God has said something new. I will not deliver you, he says. In fact, he tells them, go back to the other gods. Let them deliver you. This is reminiscent of Elijah, isn't it? Remember Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and the prophets of Baal? And Elijah mocks the prophets of Baal. And he says, cry aloud to Baal, for he is a god. For he is either meditating or, is he, or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so the prophets of Baal, they cry aloud, they cut themselves with knives and lances and blood gushed out on them and nothing happens. And 
So what is God communicating to the people of Israel? What is he communicating to his church in this moment? I think one thing, and Dale Ralph Davis, another commentator, points this out, is that, that I think this is pushing back against a caricature of God that some people can create. In the Bible Belt, this is certainly the case. Oh, God, he'll, he'll forgive us. He'll forgive us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on sinning, and if things really get bad, oh, then I'll cry out, and God will, will save me. And it seems as if God right now is, is, is pushing away this bad image of him. He's, he's pushing away this caricature. Here's a quote from Dale Ralph Davis. Yahweh must destroy these false images we fashion of him. Israel apparently assumed that whenever things became too bad, she could always go back to Yahweh. And he says that she cannot. There is a difference between a prodigal who comes to his senses and returns home and a whore who pleads for her husband's security only until she finds someone else to take her on. What Israel needs is true Repentance, real repentance, heartfelt repentance. They need to forsake their idols. So God allows this to happen. He allows the people to see, I am not going to deliver you this time. And this is a wake-up call. This is gracious. How often, you probably know folks like I do, who have come close, seemingly, to embracing the gospel only to, to turn away once their lives get just comfortable enough. I know a man who was down and out, strung out on drugs, arrested in all sorts of trouble, and it lasted for about two years or so. And he ended up coming to church with me a few times, and, and he, he, he actually told me, I am ready to give my life over. And I thought one day he was about to become a Christian, and then we talked, and he decided... I'm not ready for that. And time went by, and time went by. And then he got himself a girlfriend. It's normally a good thing, right? But he cleaned his life up on his own, just enough. Got a job, got steady, and he just got comfortable enough that he didn't have need for Christ anymore. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? We, we know folks who, when they are poor in spirit, they're looking around and they're looking around and say, oh, maybe Christianity is the answer. And sometimes God will grant them and draw them to himself, but there are times where God will not grant them salvation and they get so close and then they get comfortable. And I think that's what's going on with Israel right now, is that though they repent God sees something, I think, that we do not see, and he's seeing something half-hearted here, and he does not deliver them, and he allows them to stay oppressed, and they are oppressed from multiple sides, from multiple peoples, but Israel repents again, and that's our third heading. Go to God again. And again, verse 15, the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. They get scared, don't they? We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. 
There's a little bit of so there's a little bit of fear, it seems like, in their voices. They, they put themselves more fully under God. Notice verse 15. Now they're saying something a little bit different, if you'll pick up on the details. They say this, do to us whatever seems best to you. So they're asking God, do your will. Only, only deliver us this day, we pray. We admit again that we've sinned. And they put themselves more fully under God. And I, I, I really like that Israel does this. They, they just repent again. There's, there's nothing, nothing really fancy. They repent again. Knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus taught on this a lot, if you think about it. There are multiple parables in the New Testament that just tell us just just keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, and the door will be open to you. And I think that's what Israel does. They pray, and then they pray again when God doesn't answer. Remember from, from Luke 18, the widow, when he's teaching the disciples how to pray, he speaks to them of a widow and a judge. And the judge would not listen to the widow, but the widow just kept going back kept going back, kept going back. And then, the judge, and then the judge relents and gives her justice. Also, Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaching his disciples says this, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. That's kind of what it might have seemed like to Israel at first. God's not going to deliver you. The door is shut. But listen to Jesus' parable. The man says, my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. But what does the man actually do? He gets up because of the man's persistence not because he's his friend, but because of his persistence. He gets up and he gives him as much bread as he needs. It's interesting that bread is mentioned too. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. There's a lesson here for us. Be like Israel in this way. This could be something that we are requesting. It could be some sort of provision. Or it could be in terms of repentance. Have you ever sinned? And then you sin the same sin again? And it's almost like, oh, I can't repent of that again. How shameful is that to go back to God for the same sin, to repent of the same thing again? I can't... Perhaps you think that way, believer. That's not what Israel did, though. Israel repented again, and so should we. Repentance is necessary. There's a quote from Thomas Watson. He says, repentance is necessary, except you repent. You will, not, you will all likewise perish. And then he says this, there is no rowing to paradise except on the stream of repentant tears. 
There is no rowing to paradise except on the stream of repentant tears. This is, the, this is how we get to heaven. There is going to be a fight of faith. And even if you sin the same sin, repent of that same sin. That is the sort of boldness we need. For he is a heavenly father. And even this people, they're whoring after multiple gods. Even them. They go back to God. How much more you should go back to God when sinning. We should pray and pray and pray. And then notice verse 16. Not only do they repent, verse 16, they put away the foreign gods from among them and they serve the Lord. There's something new about this repentance, isn't there? There's some fruit bearing with this repentance. They repent in such a way that they forsake these other gods and they fully cleave to the Lord. They serve Him. So seek, knock, the door will be opened. Put away idols. Fourthly, lastly, God's love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. I spoke of sinners sinning without conditions earlier. Now let's speak of God's love, which has no conditions. There's a key verse here. His soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Speaking of God, his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Four things I have about this verse because there's, there's a lot here. So firstly, I want to explain what this does not mean. This does not mean that God changes. Pastor Ryan spoke to us about this idea a few weeks ago. Our confession, the Second London Baptist Confession, tells us from chapter 2, God is a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. He is immutable. It goes on. It says of God, his knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. God is not moved by Israel. So God does not change. That's not what this text is, is, is teaching, if you will. He's not affected by the creature. Secondly, regarding this verse... His soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. This does teach us that God condescends to us. And he speaks to us in a way that we can, that we can understand. Any of you with, with children understand this well. There are times where you just have to communicate differently to your children. You have to get down on their level. You have to speak to them in ways that they understand. And that's what the scripture is doing in this verse. It's getting down on our level, speaking to us plainly. God could not endure the misery of Israel. There's something communicated to us here. God is using human language that we may grasp the truth that's going on. Thirdly, this is communicating mercy. There's compassion here. This is a passage for believers who can't seem to stop sinning. 
It's a text for people who keep on, who ask, why am I not stopping such poor habits? Remember, Jesus, when he's, he's looking out over Jerusalem, and he laments over Jerusalem that they would not gather to him. Remember Jesus before the tomb of Lazarus, and he sees all of these people crying and weeping around him. And Jesus is moved in his spirit. He sees the misery that death has caused all around him. And Jesus is moved. And then he raises Lazarus, and many believe in him. So this passage, I think, is teaching us a very similar truth. And note where it's at. God does not change. This is the Old Testament. This is early on in the Old Testament. God does not change. His compassion is in the Old Testament. It's in the New. And then fourthly, notice about this phrase, his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Notice about this phrase, why God relents from punishing the people. It's because of their misery. That's the reason. Again, a commentator has said, our hope does not rest in the sincerity of our repentance, but in the intensity of Yahweh's compassion. Take a look at the verse closely if you want. It, it, is, not as if, it is not as if God is looking down on them saying, ah, yes, your repentance has finally reached a certain level. It's actually that God sees their misery that he could no longer endure it. Now, with that said, repentance is necessary. That's what the scriptures say. You must repent. With that said, I think the text is clear. It is God's grace alone that stops the misery of Israel. So sometimes we can get into this cycle of, oh, have I repented enough? Have I prayed enough? Well, Keep praying until God answers. That's the answer. God has done this before. We see this elsewhere in the scriptures. Psalm 106 says this, Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel. That sounds like our passage. Many times Israel rebelled and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and for their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the multitude of his mercies. There's a pattern in Scripture. It's not just in Judges, but it is in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament. God sees our misery. So if you are miserable, one thing you got going for you is that God will look at your misery and have mercy. And you can just tell him that. Say, get me out of this situation. One application, I think, for us as believers is that in order for us to be like God, we need to, we need to be compassionate like God. We should be moved when we see misery. So to be like God is to see suffering and misery and to have compassion. 
There, there's certainly an idea in Scripture that we should celebrate the justice that's coming upon people. But there's, there's more than that in Scripture, isn't there? If you find yourself celebrating justice but not filled with compassion from time to time, then, then you need to reflect on this text this week. Do you want to be more like God? Then you should have compassion when people are in misery. There is something about us being image bearers of God that should reflect this. Even more, the fact that we're Christians, we should take this on. Israel forsook God. That is, they left him. They abandoned him. They completely left him. They forsook him. And the proper reward, I think, for anyone who forsakes God is that God would forsake them. The penalty should be for God to forsake them finally and ultimately. But he does not. He has compassion on them. And time and again, he saves his people. But one day, God decided instead of forsaking his people, he would forsake his son on Calvary, that is, on the cross. God bore his wrath and he poured out his punishment on his son. And as Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know the answer. God forsook Jesus because we have forsaken God. We've rebelled against him. The first people, Adam and Eve, despised his rule and authority. And every person since then has done the same. We forsake God each and every time we disobey his law. But God does not forsake us because he has sent his son to be forsaken in our place. So what a mercy that is. May we meditate on this truth this upcoming week. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel. Jesus Christ took the wrath on our behalf. He paid the penalty we deserve, and it's only by faith in him that we can be forgiven of our sins. We thank you that you do not utterly give up on your covenant towards your people. But time and again, though you may give us warnings, you rescue us because your son took the penalty. We pray in his name. Amen.